0: All right. The title of our message, the title of our series for the next four weeks is The Road to Renewal. We're talking about the book of Nehemiah. And um, we're going to be uh, talking about four things over this next month embracing the vision, engaging the process, resisting the opposition, and restoring the foundation. Sounds like kind of where we all are right now. And I do want to say that given again, what we've been through and where we are. And we're still in the middle of a, of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a season of crisis. We're in the middle of a difficult time. But while we encourage one another and while we work together to support one another and while we you know, deal with the realities of where we are, we want to still be thinking forward in a positive way to what God is trying to do because what ultimately happens is if things are, are broke down and messed up now, then the idea is this, that ultimately what it's happened, at some point, God is going to bring renewal and restoration and rebuild. And so uh, we want to get ready for that and be a part of that process. So today we want to talk about embracing the vision. But before I, I, I go any further, um, how about a little Bible quiz? What do you say? Uh, and, and Jeff will like this stuff. But, but, and I'll give you a hint. This, this little quiz I'm about to give you, all, all of these are from the, uh, from the, they all have to do with the Old Testament so um, first, here's first question. Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? And that's, don't answer, I'll, I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson, why? Because he brought the house down. I heard my wife laughing in the other that's room with like the door closed. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was the greatest male financier in the Bible? Noah, he was floating his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. Who was the greatest female female financier? Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile and drew out a little profit. Who was the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? David. He rocked Goliath to a very deep sleep. He rocked Goliath. To sleep. <laughs> and then finally, who is the shortest man in the Bible? Nehemiah. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I got a <laughs> laugh out of some of you. i I'd be trying, okay? Anyway, uh, Nehemiah is, is probably one of my favorite Old Testament books, and, and so uh, I, I've dubbed this series The Road to Renewal in that the story of Nehemiah uh, is, is, is a story of renewal and restoration. It's a story of One man's passion to facilitate the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, the restoration of the temple, and the renewal of God's people, who at this time are suffering from a kind of psychological, spiritual, and cultural disorientation. And I think renewal, the word renewal, describes the overall thrust of this book. All of the various things that we find in Nehemiah and all of the various tasks, they lead to one goal. And that is the renewal of God's people. As, his, as, as history, the, the events all uh, unfold. Uh, they take place beginning around 444 B.C., uh, which is some 25, 2,600 years ago. So as literature, it's ancient. But as theology, it's truths are timeless. Uh, as all of you, to, to please <laughs> mute yourselves right now. Please, everyone. I, can, I can't get to that button, but... Uh, I hear you, so uh, while I'm sharing, please meet yourself. Um, the message of this book has been and remains relevant to the people of God throughout the ages. But I think that in this moment, as we've as we're sharing today, where we have suffered loss and brokenness in so many areas of our lives, this message is as relevant as 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 ever. For instance, you know we've 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 dealt with the the loss of, of life as we know it due to this pandemic. We are sharing and joking around this morning, we're talking about looking at TV and movies and now it seems weird when people are unmasked and when they're just hanging out in crowds together because we have not done that or we're not doing that. Uh, life as usual seems to have passed us by. We we realize that for the foreseeable future, things will not be as they were. We're living in a time when the economic uh, fallout from that pandemic is touching so many people and and so many of us are blessed to have be thriving in the midst of it but there are people all around us who are suffering greatly and and we don't know what the ultimate outcome of that thing is going to be and even nationally the the foundations of our nation the norms and 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 the uh the 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 laws and the things that we're used to because they have kept this democracy uh afloat uh at this point is um uh these things are um um are being torn down the institutions who would think that someone would have in their mind to destroy the postal service just so they could, they could, you know, uh, fix the vote and, and, you know, but, and who would have dreamed that that would happen, but we're experiencing those things and those things are stressful to us. And those things create disorientation in our lives, but there's something about the concept of renewal that excites me, that incites passion in me and hope and enthusiasm. You know what, there are, there are walls in our lives that can be damaged, that can be torn down. There are defenses that can be breached. There are boundaries that can be violated, and each one of us is susceptible to things like spiritual neglect, uh, the waning of our passion for Christ. And circumstances can, can either draw us close to God or they can, they can, they can draw us, we, we can allow ourselves to be drawn away from God. Each one of us has experienced at some point in our lives a kind of spiritual malaise that results from the onslaught of the enemies all around us as well as the, the forces within our own being. And, and besides this, our lives, as I said before, have been inhibited by this dreadful virus. And we've seen the erosion of life as we know it. And worst of all, we've seen people around us losing their lives because of this horrible plague. But in every age, the Church of Jesus Christ stands in a constant ongoing need for renewal and restoration. I remember about 10 years ago, I remember this one occasion, the church council meeting on a Saturday morning, uh, those are good old days. We used to actually meet in person and have breakfast together. I miss those times. I miss Barbara Hebert's chicken. But anyways, I digress. We met with the council and we did a walk around our property. And the goal was to compile a list of all our the maintenance, repair, and safety issues. And we walked out to the far corners of the parking lot. We looked at paving. We looked at fences. We looked at windows and paint. And we even looked at landscaping and a close and deliberate Examination yielded about two or three pages of of concerns, things that we have all tended to overlook, but that we had all tended to overlook, but issues that at some point would have to be addressed. Uh, some were merely aesthetic and cosmetic, although we realized that even those issue, issues played a role in our ability to to accomplish our mission. But, but there were safety hazards. There were things that, have left unattended for too for too long, would result in greater problems down the road. And in our lives, there are areas of wear and tear, decay, and neglect that if left unattended will cause us only further deterioration as time wears on. This is true physically, emotionally, and most pointedly for the sake of our discussion today, spiritually. And I believe that our ability to experience renewal on the spiritual level is the most crucial concern of our lives in this season above everything else we certainly need to be economically sound we need to we need to be on a solid financial foundation we need you know listen Folks, we need money. We need, we need to get paid. We need to have businesses and jobs and, and income. We, we need to deal with that. We need to deal with our health, our physical well-being. But above all of that, the most crucial thing that we need to address is our, our is our spiritual lives. It's, it's, it's in the realm of the spirit where neglect and decay are sometimes the most subtle and insidious, but ultimately the most lethal. And so over the next few Sundays, we'll gain an overview of the book of Nehemiah. We'll take a walk down... The road to renewal as we consider those four elements that we talked about, embracing the vision, engaging the process, resisting the uh, opposition, and restoring the foundation. Now, let me give you a little background. Stay with me. I know I'm, uh, this is going to be a little little heady in the, in, in the beginning but I want to give you some historical background. That'll make us good biblical expositors, and we, we can take the text in, in its context. We can understand what, 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 what's being conveyed to us here. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah are often spoken of in tandem with one another for good reason because they originally formed one book in the Hebrew Bible and they actually tell one story, uh, the story of the rebuilding of the second temple and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem uh, uh, by the Jews after they had been in exile. Ezra and Nehemiah form the continuation of the history uh, that you find in 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Now, you hear people talk about the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom had been conquered by the Assyrians in 718 BC, and they never really recovered. While Judah, the southern kingdom, they had remained intact. But in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar II, he captures Jerusalem, and carries the best and brightest of their citizens off in captivity to Babylon. Uh, Daniel is an example of, of Judah's finest snatch from his homeland and and forced to live under the control of the Babylonians. Psalms 137, one through six expresses the grief and disorientation experienced by the inhabitants of Judah who now find themselves in a strange land. Listen to these words. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem, my highest joy. And so as prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, Judah's captivity spans 70 years. But by 536 BC, a man named Cyrus, the king of Persia, who has by that time conquered Babylon, he allows the Jews to begin to return home to Jerusalem. This seems like good news, and in one sense it was, but by the time they find themselves, by this time, the Jews find themselves scattered, broken, demoralized, and actually many of them never return. They've lost touch with their culture, and most tragically, many have lost touch with the faith of their fathers. So Ezra and Nehemiah emerge as central figures in the restoration of the city of Jerusalem, the renewal of the temple, and the revival of the religious life of God's people. But who is this Nehemiah that we're talking about today? Well, he, he describes himself in chapter 1, verse 10, as the cupbearer to the king, that king being Artaxerxes Xerxes I, the son of Xerxes, who ruled from four hundred three to 359 BC. And so he's known as possessing a gentle and a noble spirit. He was also surnamed the long-handed because his right hand was longer than his left. Uh, Nehemiah uh, had ascended to the high position of a cupbearer. That's a trusted person who, who would serve the king's wine, and he'd be responsible to guard the king uh, from poisoning, to sample it himself if necessary to ensure its safety. And so he's located in Persia in what's described as the citadel of, of Susa, which is actually the site of the modern-day city of Shush in Iran. Nehemiah is portrayed as an honorable and noble individual whose personal qualities have enabled him to occupy a coveted position within the government. But two spiritual qualities emerge as we read this story, and I want you to remember these two qualities, and we should all seek to, to cultivate these two qualities. Number one, let me see if I have these, no. Number one, he is a man of prayer. And number two, he's a man of action. Number one, he's a man of prayer and we should all be people of prayer. But number two, he's a man of action. You see the, you see the confluence of those two things and how we can be praying folk, but we also need to be doing folk. Faith without works is dead. Nehemiah embodies that. He's a man of prayer, but his prayer is a catalyst for action. And so you'll notice that as you read Nehemiah, that it, in essence, it's really his journal or his memoirs, and as is the book of Ezra, with the other third-person commentary supplied by an additional writer, probably many scholars be, believe to be the author of First and Second Chronicles. So today we're talking about embracing the vision. And so I'm going to read the whole first chapter. I want you to read along on your screen and listen carefully and, and, and absorb these words, and then we'll, we'll go further. Listen, listen to the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name they are your servants for they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man i was cupbearer to the king now i want you to notice hanani's report in verse 3 it says This is the report. This this is the news, if you will. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And then Nehemiah responds to Hanani in verse four. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, that means a lot of days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, what happens next, beginning in chapter 2, is that... uh, As Nehemiah continues to perform his duties in the king's palace, King Artaxerxes notices that he's not his usual cheerful self. And and Nehemiah has the opportunity to share his concerns about his homeland with his people, prompting the king to ask him what he wants. Now, that's often a good question. What is it that you want? you, You could ask yourself that question, and God would ask that to you. Jesus, at certain points, asked people, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? In formulating the vision of renewal, we need to think about what we desire, what we need. We need to think strategically about as to how we might begin to bring about change and transformation and thereby experience renewal and restoration. Do you hear, do you hear the spirit of the Lord in our service today? Do you hear how do you hear the aspirational nature of many of the, the, the praise reports that were shared today and, and the hopes and the dreams that were being expressed? Somebody knows what they want. Somebody knows where they want to go. Some of you know what you need, you know what you want God to do in your lives. And so Nehemiah, he knows what he wanted. So he he asked to be sent to, to, to Jerusalem to facilitate the rebuilding of the walls. And, and, and he requests the appropriate paper. You know, he needs his papers to provide him safe passage. And King Artaxerxes agrees, and Nehemiah acknowledges that the gracious hand of God is on him for that task. And he goes to Jerusalem and he witnesses firsthand the devastation. And this is what we see in, in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Then I said to them, Do You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. You see what's happening here? A vision has been sparked in Nehemiah's heart, the vision of the renewal of Zion, the rebuilding of the walls, and the reversal of shame and disgrace on the part of God's people. This vision then becomes contagious, and his brothers agree that it's time to get to work. Oh, if I was in church right now, I'd tell you to turn to your neighbor and say, listen, neighbor, it's time to get to work. They said, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Later on, we'll talk about opposition, because that's a big part of this, and we all face opposition. But notice that the, the seeds of opposition emerge early on in chapter two, verses 19 and 20. Uh, and, and you see it, it says here, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite fishermen, and Geshem the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. They asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants. Uh, We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Listen very carefully this morning. When God places a vision of renewal in your heart, there are those he will place in your life that share it with you. But it's vitally important for you to realize and to understand this. Don't expect everyone to be on board with, with the vision God has placed in your life. God will place people around you that will share that vision, that will support you in that vision and uphold you in that vision, but don't expect everybody to buy into that vision. When God imparts vision, God will give success. It really doesn't matter what anyone else has to say about it. And as we read Nehemiah's story, I think it becomes clear that if we are to experience renewal in our lives. And I think there's not a one of us on this Zoom meeting today that doesn't need to experience renewal and restoration in some part of our lives. If we're to experience renewal in the, in the church, renewal in our family, renewal in our careers, there's, there are three things that we have to do. And I want you to play, pay close attention. And this is the crux of the message this morning. And the first one is this. Acknowledge where we are as we survey the extent of the devastation. Nehemiah first hears of the devastation of Jerusalem and the the, the demoralization of God's people secondhand. He then travels there to view it for himself. To maintain that everything is fine, to be content with the current state of affairs, the status quo, to act as if nothing is wrong, nothing has been lost, would not have only been dishonest, but it would have been unproductive and unfruitful, because it would have hindered any vision for renewal. You'll never have a vision for renewal until you admit that you need to be renewed. Many of us today are angry because there are certain powers in our nation that fail to acknowledge the severity of this COVID-19 thing, uh, the reality of it, of this pandemic. And, And there are tens of thousands of people some close to us that have who have lost their lives because of that failure. And that failure has dis- disproportionately affected people of color, the poor, and the elderly. Acknowledge, acknowledge where we are as we survey the extent of the devastation. Before you can fix something that's wrong, you've got to admit that something's wrong. Number two, grieve the losses associated with that devastation and grieve our own failure in sinfulness. That goes back to the scripture that, that Harriet had shared with us, and we mentioned from, from, from Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will do what? Will humble themselves and pray and, and turn from their wicked ways. In that whole process, there is grieving and mourning and wailing associated with repentance. And so we grieve the losses associated with, with the devastation all around us. We grieve our own failure and sinfulness. And we each have to own our own part of that. And you notice what Nehemiah did. He sat down and wept. When he heard the plight of the city and its inhabitants. Grieving over loss, grieving over our sin and failure is a necessary step to the formulas, formulation of a vision for renewal. In other words, it's all right, like the old says, it's all right to moan, it's all right to weep. It's important that we own our grief, that we own our pain, that we own our sense of loss, that we acknowledge our brokenness. Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. And so we grieve the losses associated with that devastation and we grieve our own failure and sinfulness in our context today. Don't be in denial about what you're feeling. Um, let me be honest with you every day for me, emotionally, I'm not like, you know, when when I see you on Sunday morning, I'm so glad to see you, you ask me, how are you doing? I'm doing awesomely amazing because I'm with you. And I'm I am i am doing awesome because I have a wonderful family around me. I have my wife and my wonderful children and grandchildren and that provide a wonderful a wonderful support system for me. But don't think that there are some days that I that I that I grieve and mourn over, over the things that, that I've lost, over the things that I can't do that I'm used to doing over the over the devastation I see in our society, over I and I grieve and mourn and and, 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 and Feel sorrow when I when I drive the streets of the city and see so many homeless people, and realize that that number is only going to go up with the way things are going. They're, you know, so you you own grieve the losses associated with devastation, and grieve your own failure. Because some of us listen, we have to we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to ask ourselves, what is our role in this? Are we living up to the, the call of the gospel? Are we living for Christ with everything in us? Have we allowed the, the pressure of the of the moment or the, the, the cares of this world to, to pull us away from Jesus? We, let's own that and, and repent of it and move forward. And then finally, number three, embrace God's vision for renewal. Nehemiah is evidently driven by a passion for the, re, the renewal Of Jerusalem. He's deeply concerned about the plight of God's people, about the disgrace and the shame that have seized his fellow Jews. And as God leads him through this process, he willingly and fervently embraces the possibility that something can be done. The potential for change. He embraces a, a vision of a desired future, which in this case is not only to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt, but to see the people of God restored. You know, he could have heard that report, wept about it, gone to Jerusalem, seen firsthand the devastation, and concluded, somebody needs to do something about this. But no, that's not what he did. Instead, he embraced the vision God placed in his heart, and he got to. I want to challenge you, church, to embrace God's vision for renewal in your life, for renewal in our church, for renewal in your community, in your marriage, uh, or wherever the enemy has broken down walls, wherever there's sin, disgrace, shame, failure, pain, loss, or grief. I I want to challenge you to embrace God's vision for what what can be restored in our nation, in our communities, in our cities. And today, more than ever before, if we would lift up our eyes, we obviously see devastation all around us. What will you do? This morning, the challenge is simple. We could stay where we are, but that's not a good option. We've got to move forward. We can't settle for depression. We can't settle for shame. We can't settle for disgrace. We cannot settle for mediocrity. And so I challenge you this morning in Jesus' name. I challenge every one of you to embrace God's vision of a renewed you, a restored you, a reinvigorated you, an encouraged you, a new you with a vision for the future. You don't have to remain as you are. You don't have to remain where you are. No matter who you are and where you are and what your situation is, I believe with all of my heart that God has better things in store for you. He wants to rebuild the broken walls of your life. He wants to restore the boundaries. He wants to remove the disgrace. Will you embrace the vision? Stay with me over the next few weeks as we discuss embracing the, the, uh, engaging the process, resisting the opposition, Storing the foundation. And then let, let's put it all together and let's move forward and expect God to do an amazing and powerful work of renewal. First of all, in our spirits, in us as individuals, in our families, in our church community, in the broader community, and even in our nation. Amen. Amen.